0: Welcome to this episode of the Future Champions podcast. My name is Stuart Taylor and in this episode I speak to future champion James Swayo. On the 17th of April 2021, James Swayo walked out onto the blue track of the Sydney Olympic Park Athletic Centre. These championships were the very first time that James wore the maroon uniform to represent Queensland. He was contesting the final of the 400 metre under-17 Australian Championships.
1: And the next event on the track is the men's under-17 400 metre final. In lane two from Victoria, Tom O'Rourke. Three from Queensland, Brendan Williams. Four from New South Wales, Michael King. In five from Victoria, Will Barbary. Six from Queensland, James Swayo. In seven from the ACT, Hayden Todd. In eight from Queensland, Dylan Devine, and in nine from Victoria, Finn Staple. You might have known James Swayo, formerly of the Northern Territory, now out in Queensland under Nudgee College. So he's made the move. So the under-7400 final off and running O'Rourke, Williams, King, Barbary, Swayo, Todd, Devine, and Staple. And Hayden Todd from the ACT having the best of the starts. He's up onto the, behind there, Devine, and he's trying to get back to Swayo. Will Barbary also moving well. So it's the 800-meter runner, Hayden Todd, has been on a tear so far this season. Having a great first 250 metres. He's blown this field apart now. He's going to lead this field into the home straight unless Swayo can respond. And here he comes, the Queenslander. A huge flourish here. Late on that third bend from the Queenslander. And he's going to come up to the shoulder of Hayden Todd and go straight past him down the home straight. It's James Swayo from Queensland with the lead. Hayden Todd holding on to that place. Michael King, Barbary and Divine, but it's James Swayo taking the win there. 49.05 from Todd and Michael King for James Swayo. 49.05, he turned on the chance with 150 to go and he was way too strong towards the end there. A brilliant win.
0: James Swayo was born in Adelaide to Kenyan parents when he was six months old his parents decided to move the family to darwin they remained in darwin for four years when james was five years old in 2010 his father took him to kenya to live on a farm with his grandparents
2: my dad decided to take me to africa to live with his parents so i lived on a farm for an entire year in kenya with an older cousin my mom had cancer in 2010 so she was diagnosed with cancer. And we were in Darwin at the time. And um, my grandfather was a doctor. And he didn't really like, um, I guess, the NT hospitals. So he said, okay, I'll bring you over to Queensland, where you can get taken better care of. In Brisbane. So they flew mum over to Brisbane. And that's where she stayed. My dad had decided, I'll take James to Africa. I'm not terribly sure where, why, but I guess for the experience in a way, and just to get me away from that stuff, I think. So he decided to take me over to to Kenya for a year to live with his parents. I got to see my culture. You know, I made memories that I'll cherish forever. Living there gave me a different perspective of life. I learned that life there was a lot different and tougher. So we had to wake up at around 5 o'clock every morning and my grandparents would wake us up. And there was a bus that would come pick us up every morning at around six. So we would take showers, and most of the time it was cold sometimes. And it was just me and my cousin, my old cousin, who was two years older than me. Just living in that lifestyle was a huge change. But then at the time I was young, I just adapted. I adapted to it. Learning wise, I guess I learned a lot about my background and my family and how my parents grew up. My mum came back at the end of the year and pick me up. And then I lived with her, so she got full custody. So I moved back to Alice Springs and I lived with mom ever since.
0: At first, it was hard for James to fit back into the Australian culture.
2: It was a, it was a bit tough. I'd say first year of school, I had to repeat a year. I had to repeat a year. And um, there, was a, there was a bit of an English barrier because I'd, I'd learned Swahili, which is my native language. So I'd have times where I'd be at school in the playground and I'd start speaking to the other kids in Swahili and they'd look at me like, what the hell? And I'd realise, oh, wait, and then I'd have to switch up again. But then eventually I adapted and then I just completely lost Swahili. And you know, I felt like I'd lost a piece of culture, like the language
0: and um, a bit of a sense of identity. James loved growing up in Alice Springs and has great memories of an adventurous life in the centre of Australia.
2: It was awesome. It was awesome, it was great fun. It was pretty hot, it was pretty hot, but um, growing up, there was always something to do. You know, we'd always go out, out in the outback and just walk around, and we'd always find something to do. It was just, oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't change it for the world, I loved it. A typical weekend, probably have breakfast and then get out and go out on the road and just play soccer. Like We'd have these trees and we'd make them goals and we'd just find ourselves there for hours with the neighborhood kids. Or well, sometimes we just go out on adventures. So, where I grew up, my neighborhood, we had the houses, the suburban houses, and the backyards was just the outback. It was just a dry, barren desert. And we just find ourselves walking around there, just along the trails on our bikes. And we could spend hours
0: out there. And it was just the best experience. It was awesome. He has always been proud of his African heritage, but recalls returning back to Kenya when he was 11 and feeling confronted by the difference between his Australian lifestyle and that of many Kenyan people. He was also shocked by how he felt disconnected from his culture. Certain things that I took for granted back
2: home, like every night we'd have to turn on the power to like heat the water and then there was only a certain amount of water we could use that was hot. Seeing the lifestyle of people, like being in real poverty. I went back for a funeral. And we were there for about two months. We went back to the village where my grandpa lived because he, he, he passed away. I was sitting there with the kids and just, like, realising how different their upbringing was from mine and how mature they were compared to me, you know, and the lifestyles they'd had to endure. That was, that was one of the biggest culture shocks for me. I remember there was a time we were heading back from the village and we stopped at um, a restaurant or what you would call a restaurant there. And it was a, it was a butcher, but it always had a barbecue. So they'd, they'd, they'd get the meat fresh and they'd cook it in the same shop. And I remember I was going to the bathroom and I walked past one of these kids that was living in, I would call it the slums. You know, you see another kid that looks like you, you'd assume they can speak the same language, they understand what's going on. And I'm, this kid's trying to have a full conversation about me. And he was really expressive about what he was trying to tell me. And I didn't understand anything at all. And he was around the same age as me as well. So he was talking to me like I was a a mate of his. And he was trying to explain something. And I just nodded my head. I said, yeah, and I smiled. And I didn't have a single clue. And that for me, I was like, wow. I felt alienated from my own country in a way. So that was, that's what, when I say a big culture shock. That was probably one of the main things there. I spoke about it with my dad and he said, don't don't dwell on it too much because I still have a lot of heritage whether I like it or not back home, whether you, whether I understand it or not. Even if I can't speak the same language, they're still my people. You know, I'm still African. Hopefully I can teach it to my kids if I get the chance to.
0: James grew up playing football and enjoying the natural environment of the Australian Outback. And it wasn't until 2018 when he was approached by his soon-to-be athletics coach, Murray Stewart.
2: Back home in Alice Springs, um, we used to have this inter-school competition. So the school would select a few kids in each year level to go compete at an athletics carnival. I remember it was 2018, I was in year 7, I was competing in the 200, and I think I ran 23 seconds on grass, 24 probably, 24, sorry, on grass and sneakers. And I had a really close friend of mine who I knew did track and field, and um, he comes up to me after the race. He says, my coach wants to speak to you. I said, oh, what's up? And he said, come over and have a, have a chat to him. So I meet my coach, soon to be coach, and first thing that I find out is, is that he's blind. He's legally blind, fully blind. So he had a walking stick and there was a supervisor with him. He says, hey, mate, how, how do you feel about track and field? I said, oh, never really thought much of it. You know, my, my dad did it. My older brother does it, but I'm more of a footballer. And he says, well, if you're ever interested, come on down. Can I get your mum's contact? And I said, oh, I don't even really know you, but oh, well, because I had mutual friends that were doing it as well. So I said, All right, I'll give it a go. And um, from then on, it just went upwards.
0: Around that same time in 2018, James was also introduced to basketball. Despite his success in athletics, there is no question his greatest passion is basketball.
2: A friend got me into it. I played soccer for a while. And I had a mate, family friend that lived up the road, who used to play a lot of basketball. And he said, you're, you're pretty tall. You, you'd be good at it. And I'm like, through school, I made mutual friends and friends that were playing basketball So well. I said, I'll give it a go. The basketball community back home was really, really polite and I'm nurturing. So they, they invited me in. I got into a club and I started playing it and I fell in love. I
0: fell in love with it. And ever since
2: then, it's all I think
0: about. <laughs> in less than six months, James was competing in the Northern Territory Championships, in the 100 metre, 200 metre, 400 metre, 800 metre and high jump. There is really only one way to describe how James performed at the championships. Dominated. After coming away from the NT championships with gold medals in all five events, you could expect James to feel somewhat confident heading to the Nationals in Cairns. But he was anything but confident.
2: I was terrified. That's the right way. To put it. I was so nervous. I couldn't eat, couldn't, couldn't sleep. I was very, very anxious. It's my first year. I hadn't. Even, it wasn't even a year into track and field. It was about six months. I started in June that year, and I was in nationals six months after, at the end of the year. So I had little to no experience in these sort of situations, and I was just put. Pushed right into the deep end.
0: James had narrowed his focus to the 200 metre and the 400 metre for nationals and remembers his first heat in the 200 metre event. It did not go to plan.
2: I was so eager to win. I was tripping over towards the end. Like the last 10 metres, I was reaching out, could barely keep my feet, and I think I finished second in that heat because I just lost so much speed, so much momentum because I was just trying all I could to just cross that finish line, I'd complete all the running techniques I'd learned to just completely go out the window, just
0: needed to go over the line. It was like James had managed to get all his nerves out during the heat and the delay in the start of the 200-metre final allowed his nerves to settle even more. He felt ready, but despite his calmness, he was not confident. I didn't
2: think I was going to win at the time. I, I, I'm not terribly sure how I was thinking at the time. I think I might have looked at the times everyone was running and had a, had a pretty good idea of where I was going to place and if I was going to do well. But ultimately, I was like, hey, this is my first year. You know, only six months into the sport. See how I go. I remember it was cold and we were wet. So the, the race was delayed about 20 minutes. By that time, all the anxiety has just been flushed out. Like, for me, I felt like that was it. I felt like you, because you reach the peak of anxiety right before the race, all the nerves. And then when we were waiting for so long, it was kind of like, I just want to get this over and done. with. You know, I, I felt like I went flat after it. I think that's why I started pretty slow as well. I can't remember exactly what the tip was, but I remember my coach saying, just bring it home at the end. We used to train, it was really weird, we used to train 2Ks. Every week we'd do a 2K run and we'd have to hit a time at the track. So it was five laps, 100%, and we'd just go until, until we'd finished and um, we'd, we'd set records that we'd have to beat. My coach had this theory that um, all runners need base, and that's what you call it, base, essentially fitness. Cool. It stuck with me. And ever since then, in any training that I do leading up to any competition, I have to include a, a, a 2K run in it. Still now, it's my sense of structure. I reckon that's what led me to win that race, was the base. Because my coach said I wasn't as quick as everyone, but I was more fit. I'd come out of the first 100 meters, and we were around the bend, and um, I think I was in fourth place, coming out of the first 100 bend. And I could just hear my mom yelling in the crowd, I'm coming out, and I said, I've still got something left. And then after that, it was just laser focus. I I full, I don't even know how to describe it. Everything around me just went quiet, and I just found myself surging, just surging. I was like, all right, I'm just going to put everything I have left. I could just feel myself crawling up until I reached the finish line. And it it feels surreal now talking about it, but I I was in a zone. And I learned how to control that now.
0: Within six months of starting in athletics, James had won a national gold medal for the 200 metre and a silver medal for the 400 metre. In 2019, he competed as a bottom-aged athlete in the Australian Championships in Western Australia. His pure speed and power were noticed by Jack Darms, the director of track and field at St. Joseph's Nudgee College in Brisbane, Queensland. Jack approached James and James's mum about applying for a scholarship at Nudgee.
2: So I was a bottom age athlete going into the 400 and I came fourth. Pretty funny story, the kid that came first in that race got the Australian record. He'd broken the Australian record, that same race. So essentially you could say it was the fastest race in the under 16 Australian history. It's pretty crazy. I ran a forty nine point six seven, which is a pretty crazy time for f- a fourteen year old to be running in Australia or in the world. Luckily, I was scouted by the track and field director at the time, Jack Dimes. He shot Mum a message on Facebook and he said, "Hey, would you guys be interested in coming to St. Joseph's National College?" Fortunately, conveniently, Mum had a family friend whose dad was a principal in Brisbane, and so Mum asked hey, can you ask your dad about Nudge College? A family friend messaged his dad, and his dad's like, send your son there straight away. Boom, well, send him. Said it's one of the best schools, not in Queensland, but probably in Australia. So mum was pretty keen on it. So the following year, it's 2020, I think mum received the message a bit too late going into the next year. So she missed the um, scholarship application timeframe, but she was still in contact with the track and field director. So he said, all right, well, There'll be another one later in the year, apply for that, and he should get it in 2021. And um, that's what we did, and that's how I got here.
0: Once the decision was made to leave the Northern Territory for Queensland, James had to break the news to the people that had supported him in Alice Springs. The hardest person to break the news to was his coach, Murray Stewart. And for James, it wasn't easy.
2: It It was a tough thing to go through letting everyone know that I wanted to leave. So I was um, pretty quiet about it until the time was right. And I finally sat down and spoke with my coach about it. We told him that we had a going away party. But it was something I kept to myself in a way because I wasn't really sure how to tell them because everyone was so set forth on um, Alice Springs Olympics. They were set forth on me staying there and making it all the way through to the international stage. My family didn't see that happening. I didn't see that happening personally. I, I said, oh, you know, there's only so much you could get out from this experience. And it was, it was, a, good, it was a good base, but it just wasn't going to be enough. That's how I felt. So telling them that was, was pretty hard. So I did keep it to myself for a bit until the time was right. And I sat down with coach and I um, explained to him the situation. And after that, they were really supportive with it very understanding about it. The support I receive now is tremendous.
0: In January 2021, James made the move to Queensland and became a boarder at Nudgee College. In March 2021, he represented Nudgee at the Queensland Championships where he won gold for the 400 metre and silver for the 200 metre. This made him eligible for the Australian Track and Field Championships in April. It was also the first time that he would be representing his new state. Queensland
2: coming from the NT, there was, there was only ever about like 20 of us at, at these championships. Like, even this year, there was no one from NT, you know. So, I always felt like a bit of an underdog, like a bit of an outcast when I'd come to this because it'd be like the only person in the heat from the NT. And then, when I, when I was in the Queensland uniform, like as a Queensland runner, I felt like I was part of a bigger environment, a bigger community, and like, that's what I wanted. I've, it felt so good to be a part of them. Like, getting the opportunity to run relays, you wouldn't even think of that if, when you're wearing the, the orange and black. But when you're wearing the maroon, like, I was getting messages, like, would you be interested in doing the 4x1 or 4x4? Four four? And I was like, oh, what? Like,
0: first national relay. Like, it was just, I loved it. I loved it. I, I even preferred the Queensland uniform. Leading up to the Australian Track and Field Championships, James was worried that the technique based training would let him down when it was time to compete.
2: Track and field, the training is intense. You don't get holidays like you do in other sports. Back home, the training was a lot more on fitness. And then coming here, it was more technique, a lot more technique, which I wasn't used to back home. I was doubting myself because the trainings were a lot different. Training fitness wise, Back home was a lot harder, a lot harder. We started off with about two two trainings a week, and it was just technique. So I didn't really feel like I was getting fitter. I was getting faster, like what I was used to. Because back home, how it would work each year was we just increase the intensity, you know, more reps, stuff like that. Whereas here, the main focus was technique. So I felt like I was like, oh, I, I don't think I'm going to be fast enough. I don't train nearly as hard as I do like I don't don't break sweats we're always focusing on these drills like all these tiny things that improve hundreds of a second which I wasn't used to because we didn't
0: focus on it back home but as he got closer to the championships his confidence grew stronger despite the expert training that James was receiving it was returning to what he had learned from his coach in the northern territory that allowed James to feel confident within himself to start believing.
2: The week before, I was at the peak of confidence because we went into lockdown on the last week of school and I was quickly flown up to, to Rockhampton instead of back home. And we, we hadn't completely finished training yet, so I still had a lot more to do over the next three weeks, four weeks. So I was up in Rockhampton, which I'd never been to. I lived there for the, for the last three weeks leading up to, to the championships and um, we'd go, we found a local track and I was training there and I'm, I was still about 80% certain I'd do well. I wasn't, I wasn't fully convinced I was going to win. Like I, didn't, I didn't feel like I was ready. And then in the last three weeks, I was doing four K runs at least once a day for two weeks straight. And after that, I sat down with Dad and I said, I feel like I'm ready. I feel like I'm going to do well. I feel like I will win this.
0: On the day of the finals, James felt calm and confident. His nudgy coach set a plan and james knew what he had to do to win the race
2: i was a lot less anxious because um i remember hearing a kobe quote if you're anxious if you're nervous you haven't trained enough because i I had this mindset that if i was feeling nervous and i hadn't worked hard enough and i did so i i refused myself to be nervous so i had no anxiety going into that race and my mom was sitting there looking at me because like she knows me leading up to competitions I'm terrible, I'm a nervous, I can't eat, you know, I can't sleep, all that stuff. Like, I'm very, very anxious, but this time, like, I was so calm. So we arrive at the venue, and everyone around me except for Coach is nervous. Even thinking back on it now, I'm feeling nervous, telling the story. I was locked in. I was so quiet. I was so calm. And we went through the warm-up. It's about 30 minutes, 40 minutes. He was so calm as well, and it helped. The plan was run the first 300 at 100%, and whatever you have left in the tank, gas it. Gas it. And that was the plan. And I knew since I was fit enough that I would have some left over. Because that's, that's kind of how I interpreted base as, like that leftover energy. And that's why I've been told I've got pretty good finishes in these races. Because I feel like I store energy left over for the last last hundred meters to just gas it all out. So we had the plan and I was calm and composed. Even thinking about it now, I was like, how the heck was I not that nervous? But I knew I was like, I want to win this. And I told myself I was going to win, like I told myself, I'm going to win this, which I never, I never easily do as well, like I was like, do your best. But this time, I was like, no, nah, too much is on the line. That's how I felt. Get to the cool room, sit down. You know, everyone's pretty serious. Everyone's pretty quiet. I also had the fastest time going into that race in the heat, but I was still kind of wary of Michael King, who had the faster time. So his personal best was faster than mine. So I was still kind of wary of him, but I had the fastest time going into the heat. We get into the track. And I was numb, like no nerves. I was so calm. It felt so weird, so surreal thinking about it now. I got lane six, and I usually prefer four and five. That's how I usually train. Like, those are my favorite lanes, four and five. So I got six. I was like, oh, you know, it's not bad. I'll see what I can do here. Get into the blocks. Gun goes off. And I was like, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. And um, I ran my race. That was the plan. I ran my race. Like I said, the plan was gas it when you, re- when you finish the 300. So I'm coming out of it and I didn't even feel tired. I was like, I've got so much left. I have so much left. We're reaching. I'm like, all right. Now's when I turn it on. So I actually started around the 250 in my mind. So I'd, I'd gotten past that 200 start where, you, where the 200 usually is. So all right. Start picking it up. So in my mind, I was like, all right, start building into it. Start picking up pace. And then when you're racing, you can feel, I don't know how to describe it. You can feel the energy around you. You can kind of feel when people are reaching their peak and if you're going to overtake them in a way. It's kind of weird to describe, but like, you can just feel like I'm getting faster. I can tell this guy's getting slower. So I could, I could feel that. So I'm coming out and it's the last 100 meters. The guy I was in front of me finished second. I could just feel him slowing down. I could just see myself. Like like I said, I had all this energy left. I could just feel myself pushing further and further. And then then I could hear everyone. Like I could hear the grandstand and everyone's just cheering. And I could just feel myself pushing, pushing, and pushing, and pushing. And the gap's slowly getting larger and larger and larger. And in my mind, I'm like, I've got this. I've got this. Because everyone around me feels like they're slowing down. And I, I didn't. So I was like, all right, remember what you've been doing these last three months? Don't think about pushing it more, but keeping the form. Because ideally, when, you, when you're about to finish, you're, you, you think, oh, keep on pushing, keep on pushing. And that's what I learned from the coach. He said, when you reach that last 50 meters, you just want to hold your form. That's what I tried to do, essentially. And that's, and that's what I did. I hope so. And I just tried holding that form and just staying up front and just pushing, or well, what felt like pushing. Like what felt like speeding up and just continuing that until I reached the last 30 metres, all right, just, just hold the form. And then I reached the last five metres and I was like, ah, I dived down, I was like, I've got this. I've got this. And then after that, I was, it was just surreal. It was the best feeling. It was the best feeling.
1: And now Tamsin is down trackside with the winner of that last 400 metres, James Swayo.
0: Yeah, seriously,
1: that 200 to 300 was super impressive. Was that the plan to pick it up around that bend?
2: That was the plan, executed it pretty well, I guess. But, um, yeah feel really good with that.
1: Now, you're from Northern Territory, you an Alice Springs boy, you were yep. coached by Murray Stewart. Yes, I was. And you've moved to Queensland on your yep. lonesome, left the family behind yeah. and you get boarding school.
2: Yep. And but he- I'm still in contact with Murray. You know, he rang me just before the race, actually, just telling me to stay calm, execute what the plan was, and I'm, I guess it helped. So. Still have lots of love and support from back home, so it was great.
1: Well, talking about being from Northern Territory, you've actually won the Open Male Athlete of the Year in Northern Territory already as a junior, haven't you? Yes,
2: I have. So that was a great achievement. But, yeah,
1: felt good. Well, you're the national champion over 400. It was a fabulous run. Well done. Thank you very much. Good job. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Future Champions podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Deezer and Pocket Cast. Visit us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Future Champions Podcast. If you like the positive messages in this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. If you have a story that you would like to share, then visit www.entensport.com. That's www.ent e n t e or send us a message on facebook or instagram my name is stuart taylor now go and change the world someone has to why not you